Hey everybody, welcome back to the Classics Podcast Reclamation, an intervention into the current conversation around theater history, where we recenter and uplift the Black writers and storytellers of the American theater, both the celebrated and the forgotten. I'm Dominique Ryder, your host for this episode, number two in our series exploring the life, work, and legacy of Alice Childress. In our last episode, we focused on a conversation between Arminda and I discussing the impact of Childress on our lives. This week, we're joined by the amazing Kathy Perkins, the author of Childress's Selected Play Anthology, as well as the lighting designer for the recent production of Trouble in Mind on Broadway, directed by Charles Randolph Wright. Armenda and I talked with Kathy shortly after the opening of Trouble in Mind. So yeah, Kathy, thank you so much for doing this. How are you right now? And how are you post uh, Trouble in Mind? Because you guys made it to the end of your run. Yes. Oh, my God. We knew Children's Spirit was in the room. I mean, it had to be, you know, no canceled performances. We made it to the end. So I'm just bouncing off the walls. You know, I'm just happy that it happened. I had no idea that it would happen. Charles, you know, I've been talking about it for 15 years. And I think we were all shocked when we heard it was going to happen. So so it was beyond a dream for me, this whole this whole show and everything. So Amazing. I tell people, if I never see another Broadway stage, I'm fine. I'm content. You know, I did the show I wanted to do. So that's fine. I love that. How did you meet Alice Childress and how did you begin to become more familiar with her work? I found out about her work my first year at Howard University. I was on the light crew and um, prop crew and the play was Wine in the Wilderness. And I had never heard of Alice Childress. And the play just blew me away as an 18-year-old. It's like, wow, she's dealing with class and stuff. It was that moment backstage that I became interested. Well, I didn't become interested in lighting. A friend convinced me to go into lighting. You know, we're just sitting backstage. And, you know, he says, um, what are you going to do with a BFA in acting? This is like 1973. And I said, what do you think? I'm going to Broadway. <laughs> and he, and he, sort of, he sort of laughed. And he says, no roles for black women. I've seen you hang lights. And why don't you consider lighting? We've got this big touring house at Howard and you can make a lot of money. Anyway, this same friend of mine, he was my um, guest or date for the opening of Trouble in Mind. And what was so funny, he, he said, remember years ago, you said you were going to uh, go to Broadway? I said, yeah, as an actress. But he said, but you still made it. <laughs> And so I, I just thought it was, you know, the fact that, you know, he got me started on this show with an Alice Childress. And then, yeah, he should be the person here at the theater for me, you know, with Alice Childress again. And he got me into lighting. So I knew about her starting with Wine in the Wilderness. And then we read her in grad school. And then when I was working at Smith College, a good friend of mine, Roberta Uno, who had a group called, it was called Third World Theater at the time. Um, she said, oh, Alice Childress is coming here to workshop a piece called Gullah. Would you be interested in lighting it? I said, of course. And this is not a professional company. These are pretty much all students. And it was great. So she came, she and her husband, Nathan, uh, was in the dead of winter. And, you know, I had a chance to work with her. And the reason I got a chance to really know her was because spring break was happening up at UMass. And no one told Alice <laughs> that the kids would be gone for like five days. And we're in the middle of a snowstorm. They don't have a car. And she said, what am I supposed to do for five days up here? 
And so I would invite her over to my house. Um, and I regret I don't have a photo with her. So she would come over, you know, I think I had her and Nathan over about three times and we had dinner. So that's how we became friends. And so this is 84. Um, and I think um, around 85, we sort of stayed in touch. And then there was sort of a gap in between because I had started a new job. I was out in California and she was working on a new show called Moms. And then we sort of reconnected again around 89 when I moved to another job. And I had just finished my first anthology. No, I, it, I just finished the book, my, my first anthology. I was so excited. And I was in town. I said, oh, I have a surprise for you. And so I get to her apartment and I show her the book. It has this um, Elizabeth Catlett, you know, uh, cover on the front. And she said, oh, I'm, that's impressive, Elizabeth Catlett. And then she starts flipping through the book. She says, plays before 1950. She says, well, you know, I wrote Florence in 1949. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, shouldn't I be in here? And like I said, I don't, I'm not a good liar. And I don't think that quickly on my feet, but I knew I had to come up with something. And I said, Miss Childress, somebody of your caliber should have a collection of their own. And so she was like, oh, well, when can we get started? And so that <laughs> evening, no. And so that evening we started talking about uh, the plays, but it was never done during her lifetime. Um, and honestly, I was really afraid to do anything during her lifetime because she dictates, you know, what's in her bio and she lied about stuff. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. So if you notice, a lot of the stuff was written after she passed or if there were any biographies written during her lifetime, she made sure you didn't put her husband's name in there and, you know, the age was wrong. It's like, no, I can't do this while she's alive. So it was later when I, um, I published it. But she talked, okay, but what I always tell, first of all, I tell people I am not her biographer. Uh, I am not her biographer. And she was very clear about, this is like around 89 and toward the end of her life, she just said, I'm tired of people coming in, trying to pry into my life and no one's going to ever get my biography correct. So they should just let it go. She said, I need producers and directors knocking on my door. And when she was working on a host of friends, that's all she could think about. You know, she didn't want to talk about the past. She was working on three projects at the same time. She was trying to get a host of friends produced. Um, I know she was trying to get Debbie Allen to direct it and George Wolf was at the public theater. When I interviewed Debbie Allen, she just didn't remember. All she could remember was wedding band because she was trying to get wedding band produced for TV. And that just fell through. And then she was working on a, um, a book about Paul Lawrence Dunbar and Alice Dunbar Nelson. But she did feel like her work was becoming, that she really felt extremely neglected um, toward the end of her life. You know, nobody was doing, she never had any really large productions of her shows. I mean, when you really think about it during her lifetime, yes, wedding band was done at University of Michigan, you know, but that was a small space. It was a professional show, but, and then it was done at the public. Um, and that was not a huge budget show, but I don't think she ever had any huge productions of any of her work until she died. When I was at University of Illinois, we did a production of Wedding Band in 1992. And I do have to say there is an error in my book, and I don't mind admitting to mistakes. I said that Wedding Band was done in 1992 at the Tricycle Theater um, in London, which is now the kiln. But what they did was Trouble in Mind. And the reason why 
I know I made that mistake of wedding band because in 1992, she was saying that, you know, her shows weren't being done and, you know, she really needed to work. And I said, well, let me talk to my chair and see if we can do wedding band for a main stage. And I said, it's great because it's an interracial cast. A lot of the characters are young. And I said, I'll make sure it's a a well, you know, done production. So it was a fairly large scale production. Um, And what I was doing was I was going to bring her in for that entire week. She was going to teach a class on playwriting. And then she was going to go talk to the English department because, you know, she wrote novels and stuff. And um, I would say about two weeks before she was to come, I get this call from her and she says, I have some bad news for you. She says, well, they're doing my show in London and I've never had an international uh, you know, production of any of my plays. And she said, they're going to pay my way. And she says, I-, I cannot not go. I said, of course, I understand. And she says, I really feel awful about this because I know you you know, the kids have rehearsed and they were looking for it. I said, it's fine. It, it will work out. So that's why I said wedding band when it should have been trouble in mind at the tricycle. And I have not been able to find any photographs from that production. I would love to find pictures of that show. And I think the biggest production of wedding band was done at Steppenwolf. Um, and that was one I lit. And that was a huge production. It was a large budget show. The Guthrie did a trouble in mind and then Yale did it. And then Baltimore center stage did it. She did feel very neglected toward the end and she kept questioning. She said, I get tired of people telling me I've got too many characters and, you know, I'm not doubling my people, you know. um, And I think she was sort of comparing herself to a lot of the other Black writers, you know, Anna DeVere Smith playing 20 people. I mean, she liked the pieces, but she just said, I can't write that. I can't do that. And, you know, George Wolfe with the Colored Museum with, you know, Three people playing 90 people during that particular time was a recession going on and nobody wanted these large casts. But she was just wondering, people keep telling me I have too many people and my shows are too realistic. Yeah, I want a real kitchen. So she was really questioning if she was relevant. What was the experience like working on Gala? What was it like working with her inside of the room? It was a piece she was extremely passionate about. Because the play deals with gentrification of the South Sea Mm -hmm. Islands. I think it was originally called the Sea Islands or the South Sea Islands. Sea Island song. Yeah, she just said that it didn't really focus on the Gullah. So that's why she ended up calling the play Gullah. So specifically Mm -hmm. about them. It was good. Again, these were students that she was working with. So she had to teach them a lot. My colleague, Roberta Uno, who produced it, we were talking the other day. And I said, I know you all did a interview with children. Where is it? She says, I don't remember where it is, but she said, but don't you remember that Alice read the whole, (laughs) she read at the reading, she read the whole play out. She said, Alice read the whole play because she felt that she wanted them to understand the the rhythm and the language. It was great to work with her because the the play was constantly changing. I mean, that's the way she works. She changes a lot. That's to be expected with the new piece. Uh, And if a certain student couldn't do a certain thing, she ended up having to change it to accommodate them. I enjoyed working with her. Like I I love the passion that she brought to her work. She was very passionate about what was happening to these people. And one of the things we're finding is there are not a whole lot of people to speak to. No. At the time. Which is interesting because it's like all these people said, oh, we were good friends. And I say, well, what about her daughter? It's like, oh, that's right. She had a daughter. It's like, oh, okay. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I've never seen a baby picture of the daughter. I just knew where she worked and I know she died early. But I, I did speak with Sidney Poitier. He was funny. He had me cracking up because he was talking about Miss um, Childress. Yes, we're good friends. We're really good friends. And, and I said, oh, when was the last time you spoke to her? He said, you know, it must have been just before I went to Hollywood after Raisin. Mm -hmm. I said, we're talking about 1960. It's like, yeah. But he talked about how Florence came about. Just say, you know, you know, they made me mad and my, you know, nobody want to listen to regular people. And so I I proved them wrong. I wrote a play. Now, th some say it's overnight, but she did it in like two days, you know, basically overnight. But he just said, I don't know. We were we were playing pinochle. I don't remember what she was all upset about. She just went into another room, <laughs> something like that. But it was it was that night that got that started. Everybody I knew that knew her, talked about what an incredible actress she was. He said he saw her perform before he knew her. Anna Lucaston was just blown away. And then he got to meet her through you know, A&T. He had a really nice paragraph about her in his first autobiography. Oh, I didn't read it. Oh, what did he say? He said, I developed a very special relationship with a woman named Alice Childress, an actress and a writer. I learned more from her than I did from any other person I knew during that period of my life. Things about life that no one else ever took the time to explain. Mm. She opened me up to positive new ways of looking at myself and others. And she encouraged me to explore the history of Black people as opposed to colored people. She was oh. also instrumental in my meeting and getting to know the remarkable Paul Robeson and for that alone, I shall always be grateful. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Shifting gears just a little bit, uh, Kathy, just going back to your the anthology that you released, what was, I think, both for you and for Childress, the significance of Gold Through the Trees uh, being included in the selected works? I thought it was important because, one, it was the first professional piece, and it's not complete, and I, I say this piece is not the, the actual script. There was never an actual script because she never finished it. You know, there was certain productions that Alice was in and mm -hmm. you know, the cast was changing, but she never completed. It was just constantly being rewritten. Plus she and Clarice were directing it. So it was just constantly changing. So I put it in there because this whole history, we're talking about 52. She's talking about Africa. You know, how many Black folks, particularly Black women, are talking about Africa? So I was just fascinated mm -hmm. by that whole aspect and the history of, of African-Americans. She was close friends with Shirley uh, Graham. And Shirley Graham had written an opera called Tom Tom, which looks at Africans to America. So I'm wondering if she was influenced by Shirley Graham or what. But to see, at the time I knew, I didn't think to ask her these questions because I didn't know about it. Because she, once she didn't like to talk about her past, she just said, we, we're moving forward. Got to get these shows out. So she just wanted to go forward. If she wanted to bring up the past, I would let her do it. But I didn't ask her any questions about the past. You know, I wanted to ask her about Lorraine Hansberry, not because I knew they were friends, but because you could have been the first Black woman on Broadway than Hansberry. <laughs> But a prior experience has taught me I don't ask playwrights about other playwrights because, <laughs> you know, because sometimes they think you're comparing them and it's like, that's not the point. But Dr. Margaret Wilkerson 
interview Childress. He's been working on this Hansberry book because I said people asking all these questions about Childress and Hansberry. You told me years ago that Hansberry had asked Childress to play mama in A Raisin in the Sun. And Childress basically said, Broadway is a business and no one is going to accept a light-skinned, petite Black woman as mama. You know, they want the stereotypical looking Black woman, heavy set, dark, whatever. And she says, I want your show to to do well. So I'm just going to bow out. So I just thought that was such a beautiful story. The last time I saw children, she says, oh, and by the way, my very first review was written by a young writer named Lorraine Hansberry. She said she Mm -hmm. wrote my first um, review and I thank her for that. She was much younger than me. But anyway, I'm very convinced that Hansberry was influenced by Childress's work. Because when I think about Florence and Trouble in Mind, the whole thing about, you know, ordinary Black people, and, and that's who you find in um, a raisin in the sun and the whole thing about confronting white people on stage. I, I don't know. I don't know if she got that idea from uh, Childress or not, because Black women weren't writing white people on stage. You know, that was one of the things about plays from before the 50s. May Miller was like maybe the only Black person that had white people on stage. But uh, no. And so I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if, you know, Hansberry got that idea from Childress. And one of the African songs that she uses in Raising in the Sun was a song that Childress used in Go Through the Trees with the Olunde, Alunde. Uh-huh. So I said, that's interesting. But I don't know. I, I think she was influenced by Childress's work. But see, I don't have any proof of any of this stuff. Like I said, I've been, I've not been, I haven't tried to do her biography. You know, I did what she wanted me to do. She wanted me to get her plays out there. Um, but there's a young woman who teaches at Morehouse who said there are a couple of interviews of her in South Carolina, because she said, did you know that Childress was Gullah? I said, I didn't think about that. Uh, She says, no, she says it in some of those articles, in some of those interviews. I mean, which would make sense because she talked about a a cousin of hers, a great uncle of somebody being buried in the the Gullah Cemetery. She was so private. She always says, she says, no one's going to figure out my life. So just don't even think about it. I mean, I've never seen a photograph of Childress as a child or the house she lived in. I don't even know where she lived in in South Carolina. We we went. We went oh, to you the went house. To the house? We were in South Carolina. We tried. Yeah. We went to the house. We went to the street where it was listed in the census. But um, the number before was there and the number after was there. And there was this big hole where the house. Oh, the lot. Okay. But there would be pictures if you go through the city maps and stuff. They would probably have photos. One of the things that I'm interested in, are these gaps? How many things that were important, like Shirley Graham and Du Bois and Robeson and how she was very connected to these people and influenced by them? Well, she did talk about Du Bois. In fact, when I went to her house, she had this cigarette lighter that was Du Bois's. And Mm -hmm. that was like one of her prized possessions. And that was really important to her because it was sitting out in her living room. She talked about how um, instrumental he was in her career. And um, she learned about Africa from him Mm because she was taking he was teaching a course at the Jefferson School. And she learned a lot about Africa and and Shirley Graham and 
you know, she talked about that. I had never heard of the Sojourners of Truth. So she didn't get into all of that. Mm-hmm. But she said they had seen, oh, one of her plays and they really liked it. And at some point, Shirley recommended her play over hers. They were friends. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even though Shirley was, you know, slightly older than her at the time. She did talk about being close to them and the the impact they had on her life. But yeah, trying to do a biography of hers. <laughs> no, I don't want to be involved. It's like, if you're going to do a documentary, we can talk about her plays and stuff like that. That's fine. When we were talking about the play, she would always talk about the circumstances surrounding the play. And, you know, I love Wedding Band because she really talked about that because she was annoyed because people thinking that that's a story of my, that's my mother and father. My father's not a white man. And people always talking about, I'm white. I'm not white. My parents just happen to be light skinned and, you know, I'm a black woman. <laughs> so, so she said, no, Wedding Band is not about my life. She said, Wedding Band happens to be a story that my grandmother told me which was true. That was not my father. Kathy, I'd love to know about the process of getting uh, Trouble in Mind on Broadway. You mentioned earlier um, that it had been in the work for 11 years. 15. Uh, 15 years, thank you. Were you and Charles still working, to, like working together or like thinking about it together even when no. it was No, what, back in 2008, we were working on a show. That was my first time working with him. I did a show with him at ACT, Blood Knot. And then we were talking about chores. And I said, all right, I'm going to really do a, a collection of work of, of plays. On I don't even know how we brought up children's. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with children's work. And I want to do Trouble in Mind. And then I think I met him like three years later. And my book was out. And we started talking about that. He said, oh, I still want to get this show on Broadway. But I just knew every time I ran into him, I'm getting trouble in mind on Broadway. It's going to go to Broadway. And as soon as I get it, you're going to be the lighting designer. So when I read that it was coming to Broadway, I don't know if it was Variety or something I was looking online. And it said Charles Randolph Wright was directing it. And it's like, I haven't been in touch with him in about four years. I assume his cell phone number is the same. So I text him. I said, hi, Charles. This is Kathy Perkins. It's like, congratulations on Trouble in Mind going to Broadway. And it's like, do you remember our last conversation? <laughs> and so he called me immediately. He said, oh my God, I just came out of the, the producer's office and I told him I want to use you. And they said it was fine. And, you know, and he was saying they had been talking about doing, like I said, 15 years. Yeah. Um, and he said, we've been talking about doing it. And uh, we had talked about it for last season, but nothing happened. And he said, maybe this is the right time. And that's when they said, well, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. He just felt that this time was um, a good time to do it now that people are really thinking about race in the American theater on Broadway. You talked about how Childress viewed herself in relation to um, theater specifically, I think, during those 10 years that you knew her. I think the thing that I'm, I'm I'm, I'm curious about is, like, how does she get to that point? Right. Um, when you when you meet her, do you get the sense that she's already in that place of like nothing is going to happen? There are some things I am never going to receive. Not in 84, because she had high hopes for Gullah because she was saying, oh, this show is going to go to New York. And it didn't. And then she was working on the piece with Clarice Taylor. But I think it was like around 93, 94. That's when she was really having um these feelings about 
I'm not relevant. And she was looking at works by other playwrights. I remember she was talking about, she said, a lot of these plays look like, they feel like movies. They're all over the place. And she said something like, I'm a super realist. You know, we, we stay in a kitchen, we stay in a yard, we stay backstage. And, you know, I'm looking at all these other pieces they like from, they're here and they're all over the place. And that's one of the things she was noticing. She said, it's like watching TV or, or watching a movie. And she says, I don't write that way. So maybe I, I just don't fit in to what's happening um, in the theater. You know, everybody's doing multiple characters. And, you know, I, I just don't write that way. And can I ask how you, you know, were post the, the Broadway premiere now, how you feel about, if it, it feels like there are productions of Trouble in Mind. Oh, everywhere. Everywhere. How do you feel about the sort of um, resurgence, I think, that we're in of her work? I think it's wonderful. I think, you know, it's way overdue. She needs to be in the canon. I mean, we look at Tennessee Williams' stuff is still realistic and audience, you know, clamor to that. And, um, and I, you know, her work is so relevant. And, you know, I like her work because I like realism. Um, I like the idea that she confronts people on stage, you know, be it with, a, you know, with white characters or in Wine in the Wilderness, you know, dealing with class. So I like that about her. Because toward the end, after the, I think Wedding Band may have been her last play where she dealt with racial issues and then she started focusing on black folks. You know, it's like, let me deal with black folks in the community and our problems. Um, and that's when Wine in the Wilderness came about. Right, and the piece String, you know, a lot of those deal with class issues. Because when we did Wine in the Wilderness at Howard, we did it with the piece called String. Mm -hmm. Short one acts. Um, and then what, Mojo? Mojo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she started writing plays focusing on Black people. So once I started putting her anthology, I had no idea she had written all this stuff. She put together one of the first Black anthologies, Black yeah. City. And, you know, I had the book, you know, because it had Hansberry mm -hmm. in it, you know, all of these people. And so I didn't know it was one of the first ones. Right. So, yeah, so that was that was remarkable. I mean, she just did so much children's stories. How did you figure out what you wanted to be included in the anthology? No, she pretty much told me. Oh, OK. <laughs> I was going to have more plays in there, but I, I just couldn't because it is like, well, you have so many page numbers. It's like, OK, because I think it has six. I had like 12. And one of the things I regret is... Um, See, she had nine versions of Trouble in Mind. I did not go back. I did not read all those versions. Um, but what she said was she was very specific. She said, I did nine versions of Trouble in Mind. And the one that I put in the Patterson book used that one. And then it had been published in someone else's book, too. But what I didn't know was that I listened to an interview of hers later after I published the book. And she said, oh, yeah, I told Patterson to publish that. Oh, but I left out a... Uh, a whole a monologue. When Charles and him were reading it the first time, he said, oh, LeChon said there's something missing. And I just said, I don't know what's missing. I said, this is the one she told me to put in. And uh, and then somewhere in the interview, children said, oh, yeah, I told Patterson to do it, but I forgot to tell him to put in this monologue. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> just like, and so LeChon's wanted that. That whole scene is where she says, let me talk to you about character parts. 
And mm-hmm. I think, yes, it has to be in there, you know, by all means. Yeah. And so they're doing a reprint of this book. It's going to make the correction that the play was not Wedding Band, but Trouble in Mind in Europe. And I said, can you all do like, uh, what do you call it, Rada? And mm-hmm. put it in. They said, no, because it exceeds the pages. <laughs> It's crazy. It's like, no, we can't add anything. We can make a correction. I said, well, that is a correction. But they won't do it. So, But she picked the plays except go through the trees. So, um, And I just felt that I really wanted to put that in. I just trying to figure out which version should I use anyway. Uh, but no, we talked about Florence, Trouble in Mind, Wedding Band, Wine in the Wilderness. And she did want Mojo. Um and string, but I, I had to cut back. So uh, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, I would love to put all of them in there. I mean, I was looking at the Fannie Lou Hamer, um, which was I don't think that's finished either. She did a screenplay for Fannie Lou Hamer, so I don't mm-hmm. know if anything's gonna happen to that. I would love to see somebody do something with that. She was writing a whole lot of stuff because she spent yeah. a lot of time down in Mississippi. She interviewed a lot of people. Um, I mean, when she wrote something, she knew how to do research. So that's, mm-hmm. I always admired her about that. She, oh, yeah, I went down there and I did this and I did that. And, you know. But I, I like go through the trees because, you know, this whole thing about Africa. If there was a piece that that's not trouble in mind or, or the ones that we kind of know get reproduced is if there was another piece to get staged, which one would you, I would love would to, see like to see somebody do something with go through the trees. It's, it's very visual and the music mm-hmm. and how it made a lot of people's careers. You know, I was just going to ask if there were any things that you felt she was able to address in novels that she maybe wasn't able to to talk about or do in terms of her plays? I think she was able to expand a lot of her characters. I mean, like, in, in it's been ages since I read it, Short Walk, because we have this woman that goes from South Carolina up through Harlem. She just covers so many, you know, periods in America. Yeah, yeah so she couldn't, yeah. she couldn't do that in a play because she was so weighted into realism in her plays in a short period of time. It's like one day, next day or whatever. But I don't know if she was able to cover that type of time span in her plays. She didn't, She just didn't write that way. And then she has an, another great book uh, called Those Other People. It was 89 when it came out. She was dealing with topics that a lot of people just didn't touch. Um, like a hero ain't nothing but a salmon. She's dealing with drugs. And then in, in those other people, she's dealing with the whole issue of homosexuality. I mean, who was writing about that openly in 89? So usually her books are usually banned. I think there were some schools that did not want that book. You know, he's a 17-year-old white guy. And again, that was a, a, a book that um, dealt with multiracial characters. A lot of it was she was able to expand more time-wise in her books that she didn't do in her plays. She just said she wrote in different genres because she just couldn't make a living being just a playwright or just a novelist. Right. And that's why she expanded doing children's theater. I don't know if she started writing children's book because of her kid or what. Um, she may have, because I think she said something was dedicated to a granddaughter or whatever. Um, so. Yeah. No, I didn't know she had a granddaughter until I went through her papers. <laughs> But she never talked about that. She had a granddaughter who lived in Canada who died. 
There was something that you said in the Ford that she started to turn to smaller plays. The, the way the book came about, she said someone approached her to do an anthology of plays. And then that's when she decided the scenes would be better. That's how that came about. And I don't remember what year that was. But then I think she was in the 60s, she realized she needed to focus more on Black people. Because she said there were um, small groups, community groups asking her for, for shorter plays and stuff. And I think that's when she mm -hmm. said, I really need to start focusing more on just Black people. And, okay. you know, and that's when she stopped writing the, you know, multiracial plays. Why in the Wilderness was one of the first ones. Yeah, that one was commissioned. And then I think she said she realized that there was a need for plays mm -hmm. that focus on the Black community. And that's when she said, okay, I'll, I'll leave the, the, the racial things alone. Is that kind of like just maybe an outgrowth of the Black arts movement? And I the think so. And, and, the, and Roger Furman's theater and NEC and those places that maybe he couldn't have. Yeah, I think it was an outgrowth of what was going on at the time. Because she kept saying there was a need and people were asking me, you know, what did I have? And, you know, that's when a lot of those plays came up. Um, but I know she was trying to do more screenplays. Like I said, I don't remember what year the Fannie Lou Hamer thing came out and I'm sorry that didn't happen. There was a lot of things that she was writing that she didn't get to finish. But like I said, one, maybe one of these, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to even lie. And say, I'm going to read all nine versions of Trouble in Mind. But I would like to read the version that was in Broadway. Did anybody read that one? Doris Abramson Doris has a book, Negro Playwrights, until 1959. And she has a pretty extensive description of Trouble right. in Mind in there. right. She was a mentor of mine, too. And I, I know we have a few minutes. She did not win an Obie. You know? I know. The woman did not win an Obie. I never heard her say, I won an Obie. <laughs> but knowing her <laughs> the way I did, again, this was the last 10 years. It's like, if you say I won an Obie, I won an Obie. <laughs> exactly. And I probably deserved it. But it was so weird, too, because when I was doing the anthology, the editor called and said, where did you get this that she won an Obie? And I was sort of insulted. I said, everybody knows that she's won an Obi. It's always been, she said, no, I need proof that she won an Obi. And so I called this woman named Barbara Stratton there. She used to be at the New York Public Library as, mm -hmm. as a curator. And so I said, if Barbara doesn't know this is a fact, then no one does. I said, Barbara, they're telling me that children did not win the Obi. She said, what do you mean she didn't win the Obi? You know, it's always, you know, we know that's a fact. It's like, I said, I've got to be able to prove it. And so she said, I'll have my person do some research. And then I was looking in my books to find out where it was first stated that she won the Obi. And it was one of my mentors. And there were a couple of people that disputed him saying that she did not win the Obi. And so I called, I said, I'm being told that Childress did not win the Obi. Oh, oh, then the other thing I went to was, since you brought up Doris Abramson, she did the book up through 1959. Right. So if she won the Obi would have been in 55, 56. She says right. nothing about her winning an Obi. Right. And I said, something's wrong with this picture. And then I called him. I said, you're the first person that I see put that in print. I said, where did you find, how did you prove that? He said, oh, it was a mistake. <laughs> he said it was a mistake and it had been out there for so long, I just let it go. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, I just let it alone. 
And I said, oh, okay. And then a day later, my friend at the New York Public Library showed me, she said, we know where this era came from. She said the same paper in the Village Voice where they were announcing the OB winners, there was another um, article right next to it listing another set of Off-Broadway winners. And Childers won something called the Off-Broadway Magazine something. That was confusing them. And yes. now the OB has their own website and she ain't nowhere to be found. Thank you so much to the legendary Kathy Perkins for joining us this week. And thank you all for listening. Next week, we'll dive more into the political life of Alice Childress. Our sound editor is Aubrey Dubay. The theme song was composed by Alfonso Horn. For more information on Alice Childress, please visit theclassicswithanx.org and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. See you next week. Bye.